Appalachia. Nobody truly knows where the word came from, but it seems that most folks have their own idea of what it is. Everything from run-down mobile homes full of meth heads to beautiful mountaintop views. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world and once stood over 30,000 feet into the air. They span the eastern North America from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley. I was born and raised in these very mountains. I, for one, know that they're a source of unending tales and adventure. I also know that the views of an Appalachian as to what happens outside these mountains is a bit different than one might think. Join me as uh, we take a journey through these old Appalachian mountains and beyond. I think you'll be surprised at how it goes. Welcome to Season 3 of Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. How you doing, my good friends? Welcome back, and thank you for listening. Most people look at the Wild West and think that it must have really been a dangerous time in this country because it seems that nearly all of what you hear about it involves gunplay and death. Actually, the Wild West wasn't nearly as wild as it was made out to be. Yes, the, the counts are probably true, but what I'm saying is if you look at the statistics of crime then and compare them to today, you find that it was actually overall safer back then than it is now. Yeah, that one made my jaw drop too. I guess a person was far less apt to perpetrate a crime on somebody with a sidearm. What I'm getting to is the fact that the Wild West is always where folks read about all the famous outlaws running amok and wreaking havoc on anybody or anything they felt needed havoc wreaking. Growing up, I always heard the stories about outlaws doing arguably worse than any Wild West character right in the mountains where I called home. What made it even that much worse is they fully expected to get by with it, and by golly, a lot of the time they did. So sit on back there and let me tell you about one that wasn't just bad to the bone. Heck, he was plumb bad to the marrow. seems that Thomas Talton Hall was a walking feud riddled with controversy every minute of every day of dang near his whole lifetime. There are folks who still nearly go to blows over the actual year of his death. According to some, he was born in 1846 or maybe it was 1848, yet the year of birth carved on his gravestone is 1850. His life was an unending ball of bitterness from start to finish. We've all seen that one person who, as we say in the mountains, will argue with the fence post. They'll fight to the bitter end over anything and every little thing they don't agree with. They don't pick their battles over something worth fighting for. They'll fight everybody over anything, no matter how small it is. And it ain't enough to win. They have to completely stomp it into the ground and bulldoze it over. Now, stir in some extreme racism with a small arsenal of weapons that he was so proficient with that he could shoot the eye out of a bird at a hundred yards and you got bad taught hall. At the ripe of old age of about 12 or well maybe 14 depending on who you type to, he enlisted in Company D of the 13th Kentucky Cavalry at Whitesburg, Kentucky on October 4th, 1862 even though he was too young to do it. That was 
when he murdered his first man, who was a civilian and happened to be what they called a Union sympathizer. His name was Henry Maggard. Bad talk was said to have been goaded into it by his fellow soldiers so he could learn how it felt to kill somebody. It must have felt pretty good to him, and you'll see from the rest of the story. Now, as we've discussed in the past, the Civil War was an outright mess for this country. While there were organized battles fought by both sides, most of the war consisted of bushwhacking, desertion by soldiers forced into battle for the side they weren't actually against, and people who used the war as an excuse to murder others they just considered enemies for no particular reason other than the way they held their mouth. That taught had <clears throat> served in the Civil War under the Confederate Captain Anderson Hayes. The rebels made raids on the local farmers, taking what they could could, you know, to supply the troops. The home and farm of one Will Triplett was a regular stop for Anderson's raiders. After the war, Taut married into the Triplett family by marrying Miranda Triplett. That went over like a lead balloon. What with the Triplets despising the Confederates and all they stood for and everything. Of course, this led to a whole passel of grudges being held and over time, the heat got a whole lot worse. Not just in the Hall triplet families, but all over the place. In fact, to the point where eastern Kentucky, southwest Virginia, and southern West Virginia turned into a powder keg with the attitude, you either for us or against us, being the spark that could set it all off. There wasn't any middle ground. And for some, the war just wasn't no be over at all until one they won or died trying. Most by that point didn't even fully understand what in the heck they were fighting for. They just fought. There wasn't hardly... A person around those parts who didn't carry weapons. Yes, I said weapons. Well, usually two or three guns and a couple of knives. So it was naturally assumed that if somebody pulled one of either of them, they intended to use it, and most of them were using them with deadly accuracy. To add to this cocktail of death, most men made their own white lightning, and by golly, they drank it like it was going out of style. So... The majority of these well-armed men didn't have the decision-making capability of tree bark. These folks were known as feudists. Taut did make an effort to get out of the area and start fresh with his wife. That's when she disappeared. Taut had decided to move his family to Memphis, Tennessee, but apparently Miranda didn't want to go. The move to Tennessee didn't last long, and Taut came back to Kentucky. Of course, he had an explanation for his now-missing wife. He said that she had got sick along died along the way, and he just buried her somewhere in the Tennessee mountains. The triplet family, of course, didn't uh, have any of that, and uh, didn't have any of it, and just accused Taut of flat-out murdering her, and, and were hell-bent on revenge after that. This is where bad Todd Hall found himself after the war, and he fit in like a, you know, like a piece of jigsaw puzzle. In fact, he excelled at it. Bad Taut decided to get in the first lick, so he hired a man from Virginia to kill Billy Triplett. The hitman ambushed Billy near his cabin, and during the shootout, Taut's hired gun was killed. Apparently, Taut wasn't the only one who could shoot straight. Taut saw red and retaliated by attacking Billy's cabin in the middle of the night. Jefferson Triplett, the nine-year-old of Atchison Triplett, was living with Billy and his wife, Dinah. He was wounded in the left hand as he hit under a table. 
The attack failed and the whole thing was added to the running tab of something else to get taught for. Then came Christmas Day in 1875 at the home of Jeff Turner. They were all together as families are on Christmas doing what they do. That's when the whole shebang went as far south as it could go. Apparently, feudists can't even have Christmas together without having trouble, so a fight broke out, probably over the ham being off the wrong side of the hog's ass or something to that effect. Jeff Turner and a member of the Sizemore family were shot to death for Christmas, and several others were severely wounded for theirs. Taut escaped, and one and one unscathed couldn't, couldn't be tied to it once he was out. Uh, now, after all that, came the spring election of 1880. Apparently, Taut and Billy went to vote. I guess Billy didn't know it was Taut that had tried to wipe him out. Uh, talk about odd. Yes, both of them were having their going-to-vote cocktails, and Taut figured that he needed to tell <coughs> Billy how to vote. Billy, in his own right, was the local tough guy as he had whooped several people to prove it. That's about the time Billy hauled off and kicked Taut in the stomach and a fault broke out between them, or a fight broke out between them. No feudists can't even vote together, you know, without even getting into it, but Taut pulled a pistol and shot Billy right there in the middle of the street in front of nearly a whole county when he announced that that to the stunned crowd, I've always been that coward Taut Hall. After this, I'm going to be called Bad Taut Hall. So he strutted away from the crowd, climbed a rail fence, and smoking gun was still in his hand. He turned to the crowd, danced around like a chicken, then let out a big crow like a rooster at sunrise. He was sure that he'd finally killed his brother-in-law, Billy, but, you know, truth be known, he hadn't. Rumors circulated that Billy died from Bad Taut's bullet, and he'd re but he'd recovered, and he moved to West Virginia to get him and his family away from the whole mess. That was when Taut officially became Bad Taut Hall. Then, in the late 1880s, changes started happening in the southwest Virginia and eastern Kentucky. Industry had come to the area, which led population growth and folks moving from the cities to the farms to take to the new jobs. Minerals and ores were becoming high in demand, and railroads and mines were stretching into the mountains and hollers where there was nothing before but a bunch of squirrels and maybe a possum or two. As the railroads hauled out coal, they brought back more folk looking for work. Big Stone Gap, Virginia was where some of the folks first set foot in the Appalachian Mountains. The biggest part of, of it all was controlled by the Kimmerer family of Pennsylvania, who owned and controlled a huge part of it. The Bad Taut Hall and many other feuders were in direct opposition to every bit of it. They called it industrial colonization. And apparently that's where they were going to focus their battles next, if you can call what they did battles. Then, of all things to happen, maybe through some twist of fate or maybe the sheriff or some other ranking official it was just against the big in industry as Bad Taut was, Bad Taut Hall was made deputy sheriff Bad Taut Hall. At this point, he was already known for his gun playability. When Bad Taut Hall showed up, Going forward with any kind of a disagreement or argument wasn't only pretty blame stupid, it was outright suicide. Bad Taut didn't pull a gun to bluff folks. He brought it out smoking and didn't miss when he, di when he did. Now this, this guy was right up there with the likes of John Wesley Harden and Doc Holliday, folks. It was a 
his ability and willingness to use his guns that eased him into the position of deputy U.S. marshal for the U.S. or the Eastern District of the Kentucky. Of course, bad talk being the U.S. marshal greatly increased the prospects of the entire Hall family, if you can know exactly what I mean by that. They were already pretty well organized as they were. They went everywhere together in a tight, well-armed group, and now, well, well, they're under a shield of a badge. They were all now running around like deputies, and there wasn't anybody arguing with them over it because these poor, those poor folks were, well, now legally taken care of, if you know what I mean. Tall apparently didn't think a thing more about anything he'd done so far and continued to live on Beaver Creek. He finally joined up with the gang of Devil John Wright, who is another one we need to talk about in a future episode. The gang went on a tear through the mountains of Kentucky and Virginia. I imagine U.S. Marshal gone rogue, folks. They rode around murdering folks for fun. Yes, they were arrested so many times it would make you sick, but the folks who are called to be jurors in their trials were scared to death to convict any of them because the and or their families would be the next ones to be digging, pushing up daisies. Most of the time, the accused would escape and not hardly a soul dared to go after them. Now, I said not hardly because there is still the triplet family who were hotter than a boiler and a steam engine over the whole deal. They didn't necessarily go out chasing after them, but if the opportunity came up, they planned to take full advantage of it by taking out Mr. Hall and any of it got in his way. Actress and Triplet finally had the opportunity to do just that in 1882, but, and here's that shocker, he failed. Bad taught, and a bunch of his gang were all gathered up around a mountain spring when Atchison and some of his friends and family went to hit the same watering hole. It was late in the evening and so dark that nobody could see anybody well enough to tell who they were. Atchison could hear him talking and immediately recognized Talt's voice. Atchison eased up on the bunch until he was within a few feet of Talt. He never made a sound as he just got close and started pumping lead in Talt's direction. Now, if you were planning on doing this kind of thing back then, it was very important to remember one thing. You'd better not miss. Sure enough, Atchison's shots missed their mark. Talt immediately stopped talking and Everybody there scattered into the surrounding laurel thickets, leaving Atchison standing there with an empty gun, wondering if they were getting ready to kill him. Now, they weren't. They were surprised, and they actually ran off. But now being that Atchison had missed, they knew that Talt wasn't about to let that one go. So the next summer, Henderson, Atchison, and Henry Triplett, along with George Isaacs and three others, formed a posse to track down and arrest Bad Talt Hall. Back then track down and arrest most of the time meant track down and kill because everybody knew that one one thing to track somebody down but to, to another thing to know that they weren't going to go peacefully Taut and another companion were hiding in a cornfield when the posse ran up on them they grabbed their guns and ran in separate directions the posse started combing the field looking for them everybody in the posse had gone along or had a long gun, I'm sorry, except for Henry Triplett. He brought a revolver. Unfortunately for Henry, Talt had grabbed his Winchester rifle. And sure enough, Henry was the one who ran into Talt and couldn't draw on him before Talt jumped on, jumped on him and the two fought for nearly a half an hour. The corn was tore down for 12 feet around him. 
Hawk finally got loose and shot Henry. Then he laid down beside the poor man, hoping that his groans would bring the others to help him so he could kill them too. Fortunately for them, none of them hurt him and came. Henry Triplett was another of Talt's brother-in-laws that he'd gunned down. Finally, the other brothers could hear Henry yelling for somebody to come bring him some water, and George Isaacs was able to get him a hat full and carry it to him, but by then it was dark, and Talt ran into the dark while the other brothers tried to attend Henry, but he didn't make it. The triplets went about burying Henry, but didn't let up their search for Talt. They came to so close to catching him that he had actually hidden the freshly dug grave of Henry Triplett at one point. Atchison and Henderson were able to get an indictment against Talt for Henry's murder, but he continued to run free because no officer of the law would go near him. It was, or that was when the Triplett family decided to join Brother Billy in West Virginia because they knew that it was a matter of time before Talt and his gang came calling. Atchison and Henderson left behind their elderly father along with their mother, brother, and sister who were all dead, hoping West Virginia would be a better place to raise their families. This is about to go even further south than it already is, folks. Stick around. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend with Larry Bentley. Atchison Triplett was quoted as saying about his move that he had no desire to ever return to a land where you had to work with an axe in one hand and a rifle in the other. So Talk went on to kill Henry Hawk in 1883 and was indicted, but once again, no officer dared to go track him down and arrest him, and in 1885, he killed his cousin Mac Hall and laughed at the sheriff who tried to arrest him. By 1886, Talk thought it just might be a good idea to leave the area, so he relocated in Jackson, Mississippi. There must have been something about that place that he didn't like because he drifted on to Vicksburg, where he worked for the Vicksburg Freeport and Pacific Railroad, one of several railroad jobs he held over the years. At Vicksburg, he met Cynthia Roberts, and like Talt Hall, Cynthia had used aliases that suited their purposes, and uh, pair soon moved to Memphis where they lived together as Mr. and Mrs. John Hill. Their relationship would continue off and on for the rest of Talt's life. In 1888, goodness knows why this time, Talt decided to hit the road again. Cynthia and his four children by another woman were left sitting in Memphis. Talt's first stop on his walkabout was St. Louis, Missouri, where he found work as a traveling hardware salesman. Now, don't ask me why, but a man with the mentality of bad Todd Hall selling hardware struck me as downright funny. I'm almost laughing now. (laughs) But I guess I wasn't the only one and realized the job wasn't a good fit because it wasn't long before he quit and moved to the Joplin City, Missouri, which he didn't like either. From there, he moseyed on down to Denison City, Texas. Every time he went to one of these places, he was able to get work with the railroad, which was a regular steady work for anybody who wanted it back in. I wonder if it ever occurred to him that by working on the railroad, he was expanding the very thing he opposed, what he called industrial colonization, remember? But, of course, it didn't surprise me to find out that all of his traveling was the result of him wearing out his welcome with law enforcement everywhere he went. 
this was due to mostly to his heavy drinking, which was another thing that kept getting worse as he went. He was nice enough to swing through Memphis once for a short spell to say howdy to Cynthia and the kids. But then in the spring of 1890, Bad Todd Hall came back to his old stomping grounds in Wise County, Virginia. Of course, while he was in the Wise County, he went to Coburn to see his close friend, William Greer, who kept a store there. He also visited his brother-in-law, John Bates, who was where he learned that the infamous Marshal Doc Taylor, the Red Fox of the Mountains, you know, remember him from our episode earlier, who we talked to, you know, I think it was last season we talked about him, but yeah. Uh, but he was together with a man named of Enos Hilton, police chief in Norton. They were uh, on the lookout for him and would kill him if they got the chance. Chief Hilton had a personal interest in seeing justice done for Taut, and, uh, who had also murdered his uncle Frank Sailors back in uh, 1885. Now, Taut figured it might be a good idea to get out of the area, so he hide-held it back to Memphis, but as he always did, he couldn't stay and by June of 1891 he was back and going about life like he didn't have a care in the world. On July 26, 1891, Todd along with Bill Bates, Miles Bates, and John Bates traveled to Norton. Now Norton was the kind of place Todd liked. Not that he cared, but it was the worst possible place that he could have been. Todd liked it because the town was pretty much a row of saloons and on both sides of the street, which was full of sex workers and used the upstairs of the saloons to, you know, for their business meetings, if you know what I mean. That's where bad Todd Hall made his final mistake. Somehow the four men ended up staggering around to the train depot where Chief Enos Hilton immediately recognized bad Todd Hall. Of course, he aimed to do exactly what he said he was going to do and arrest or kill Talt. And just as always, Talt didn't aim to go. So they ended up in a fight which ended with Chief Hilton being shot. He was shot right there in front of half the town who were now witnesses. Chief Hilton would linger for about 12 hours before he finally died of his wounds. Now Talt was wanted for murder in of all places his favorite town on along with all the rest of the places he was wanted for murder. Todd Hall didn't sit around waiting to find out whether Chief Hilton was dead or not. He made an immediate break, immediate break for it. And since he'd just shot the chief of police right there in the railroad depot in front of everybody, he figured that it wouldn't be too smart to try to jump on a train and take off. He was right, because that was the first place they all looked for him, and he'd actually set out for Coburn on foot by the way of the backwoods of the Appalachian Mountains. Good luck finding him with him knowing the mountains like he did. Folks, with that was about a 10-mile run on foot straight through some of the steepest, thickest, worst parts of any mountains anywhere, but it beats dancing at the end of a rope, I guess, and Bad Todd Hall knew it. From Coburn, Todd went to Kentucky where his friends helped him hide out. They probably didn't have much of a choice, you know, being... <laughs> it to help. It wasn't like anybody was going to tell Bad Todd Hall, get out. You might walk up, but you sure wasn't going to walk back if you tried to talk to him like that. From Kentucky, he procured himself a horse and rode on over to Honeacre, Virginia, and from there caught a train to Memphis where he used the alias J.F. Thomas. Didn't matter, though. Too many people knew that he had the other life in Memphis, and after watching their police chief get gunned down, 
They've come around and told everybody that would listen about it. Finally, on December 9, 1891, Bad Todd Hall was pounced upon with the gusto of a hound dog and arrested by Memphis police. The Red Fox of the Mountain, Doc Taylor, who had been brought to the Memphis by train by the Wiles County and Memphis officials, he raised his finger and pointed to the man claiming to be Mr. J.F. Thomas, telling them all that he was indeed Bad Todd Hall. It's said that every bit of color drained out of Todd's face when he saw Doc. Todd Hall was handed over to the custody of Sheriff Wilson Holbrook of Wise County. Sheriff Holbrook then took him back to Virginia where he would stand trial in Wise County for the murder of Police Chief Enos Hilton. After the killing of Chief Hilton, National News picked up the story and told the tales of the outlaw Bad Todd Hall. Folks, this happened at the same time as the Lizzie Borden murder trial in Fall River, Massachusetts, and Bad Todd Hall was the only thing that knocked her out of the headlines. They were neck and neck for first place in the headline sweepstakes on a daily basis. Back in Wise County, Todd spent Christmas of 1891 looking out the bar-covered window of the Wise County Pokey. I'm sure Santa Claus drove right by that place without batting an eye, and he was held there without bail to await his trial for murder. During his stay, he whined like a baby over his ill treatment and lack of privileges to anybody that cared to listen to him. Unfortunately for him, not many did. The folks running the jail thought the world of Chief Hilton and did everything within their power to make Todd as miserable as a human could be. Meanwhile, the call for jurors went out in the, to the good citizens of Wise County, and a lot of these folks were prominent citizens who just happened to have pressing business somewhere else and maybe some health issues that kept them from serving, if you know what I mean. This seemed to happen every time a member of the gang made it as far as trial. But according to Talt and others around the area, the gang were on the way to bust him out any day now, and anybody who got in the way was going to catch a fatal case of high-speed lead poisoning. But to prevent that from happening, the jail was guarded by a company of men who had been deputized just for the, that very purpose. Among that group was the home guard of Big Stone Gap, and uh, one might call this group the predecessor of the National Guard. But I expect by this time, Talk was watching the clock on the wall and wondering what the holdup was about the same time that the Devil John and his gang were looking through the telescope from the mountains, talking about how Talk wasn't going to make it. No gang member was going to ride up in a bunch of like this and ride out alive. And to beat it all, being that most of them had their own problems with the law, none of them were about to go down and tell Talk that. And that his, you know, that his goose was cooked on top of that, he was going to have to learn that the hard way, I guess. Finally, after wrestling 12 into the jury box, the trial of Tault Hall began on January 26, 1892. The testimony of numerous witnesses was heard. All of them pointed their trembling finger at Bad Tault Hall, who was still looking out the window for Devil John to come help. On January 30th, the deliberating for 12 hours ended and the jury filed back in the courtroom to deliver the verdict of guilty of murder in the first degree. No record of if they did so from behind some kind of cover in case some shooting broke out, but nonetheless they did it. 
After the clerk of the court had read the verdict, Judge H.A.W. Skeen polled the jurors individually to confirm the verdict of each man and confirmed their verdict, and Judge Skeen didn't waste any time sentencing Bad Tall Hall to death by hanging with a March 14th set as his execution date. The lawyers for Bad Talk managed a amount of several appeals that were able to get the stay of execution for a little while while there were, that was all going on, but Talk was transferred to the Lynchburg Jail on February 4th for safekeeping. Sheriff Wilson Holbrook and two heavily armed deputies guarded him during the train trip to Lynchburg. Once again, I expect that Talk was thinking that this would be when his rescue would come, but it didn't. The folks of Wise County were able to feel a bit relieved once he was gone, but the jurors still went home and stayed on edge. They thought it wouldn't be long before the, they, somebody's going to come along and shoot out for their lives. It, it, it was going to happen, but that didn't happen either. Uh, then, to bad Todd Halston's May, the courts upheld his conviction and confirmed his death sentence by throwing his appeals in the trash. The governor of Virginia was asked to step in, but once he read about Bad Todd Hall, he didn't want to step in. Well, he didn't want to step in anything because he couldn't clean off his boots. In Jan June of 1892, Todd was dragged back to the Wiles Courthouse so they could set him a new execution date. Judge Skeen stared a hole through Todd as he set a new execution date for September 2nd, 1892. Then they dragged him back to Lynchburg just in case the Devil John gang started any getting any ideas about it. Bad Talk's execution turned into be a good day for businesses. There were upwards of 5,000 people crammed into the small town of Wise that day, even though the hanging was done on the enclosed gallows, the same one they'd used to hang Eve Hobson from. The gallows looked pretty much like a big two-story outhouse. While he was locked up in Lynchburg Jail. Tot Hall was visited regularly by Father Lukey, who was a Catholic priest. Father Lukey set out to help Tot find peace, accept his fate, and prepare for death. He came to Wise County as to administer the last rites and of observation for the on the morning of the execution. Tot's sister came too, so she could support her brother. She tearfully kissed him goodbye after he had climbed up the stairs and stood over the trap door. There weren't many people allowed to watch and taught dangle from the rope, but of you know, made of fine Kentucky grown hemp inside the gallows shack. Most people were outside and standing in wagons and nearby rooftops and trees or to you know, maybe try to get a glimpse of Tot's corpse as it being hauled out from under the gallows or maybe watch him go up the steps into the gallows. But of course the liquor flowed freely and the crowd was all whipped up noisy and started to get restless when it was more like a county fair than an execution. I reckon folks around about that area had just about had enough of living without laws and were ready for some good old-fashioned justice. Tot faced his death like a man, and the whole thing went as smoothly as it could have. Sheriff Holbrook chopped the rope that released the platform under Tot's feet, and he dropped straight through the, and the rope snapped. And he did twitch a few times, and then went limp. The crowd heard the sound of the trap door and went quiet. After about 15 minutes, the doctor examined Tot Hall and pronounced him dead. His neck had been broken instantly. 
they removed his body and sent it to his final resting place in Dunham Cemetery in Letcher County, Kentucky, ending the story of Bad Talt Hall. I sure hope you enjoyed our story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe or follow us on whatever you're listening to. Join us on Facebook group, Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend Podcast, where we talk about anything you want to talk about. I'll be back soon with another Appalachian Murder Mystery or Legend, and I'll see you then.